Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here uh, with another one of these uh, bonus episodes, I guess you could call them, um, uh, in which I interview people that I find uh, particularly interesting. And recently on the show and on the website, uh, you might have heard me talk about the documentary Ask No Questions. Well, I have the documentary, uh, sorry, I have the directors of the documentary here with me today. Uh, I've got Jason Loftus and Eric, you know what? I forgot to ask, how do you say your last name? Eric. Petticelli. Petticelli. Okay. It can be uh, a mouthful for some. And uh, (laughs) yeah, but I appreciate you asking. I uh, I didn't want to presume what what that C was going to sound like, um, but uh, but yeah. So Jason and Eric, uh, thank you so much for for being here. I really enjoyed your movie, and I'll say this now and at the end that the film is available uh, on demand. Very pretty much anywhere a person. Uh, can rent a movie you can find ask no questions and uh listeners you can you can read my review at battleshippretension.com uh it is a film that i really enjoyed and one that uh i felt i wouldn't say conflicted about not the film itself more just it, it helped me to realize the the difficult position that documentary filmmakers are often in uh especially when talking about politics and especially when talking about a government that uh is not uh, that is not going to pull its punches and yet when it comes to uh depicting that uh we tend to require our our filmmakers especially documentary filmmakers like we require uh objectivity and nuance from you even if the subject that you're talking about it has nothing of the sort and so i came away feeling like man this is a this this is a tightrope uh for documentary filmmakers so uh so that's kind of what intrigued me about uh, about talking to you guys and talking about the difficulties of making this film in particular. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask is, uh, I mean, it's it's such a big, uh, big, obvious question in many ways. But uh, how did you what is what is your film about, first and foremost? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I mean, the, it's a look at uh, we meet this gentleman, Chen Rei Chang, and he's a, a former insider of the Chinese state television. And the story begins with a look at uh, a situation in which a number of people set themselves on fire in Tiananmen Square in Beijing a number of years ago. And they're alleged to be uh, driven to do this by a supposed belief in Falun Gong, which is a spiritual group that was being repressed in China. And Chen, we meet, is uh, someone who worked high up in the state television. He became connected with Falun Gong, and he's adamant that this event is staged. And that kind of inspires this journey. Um, The other side of it is that I personally have a connection with it. Uh, So Jason speaking here. I was connected with Falun Gong back in the late 90s, uh, introduced to it because of my interest in Eastern philosophy and meditation. And so I kind of came before all of this political craziness had taken place in China from a a more kind of like meditative and spiritual aspect. I was introduced to the practice and to the community. And as a result, when this thing happened, I just couldn't explain it. I just couldn't couldn't reconcile it with my own experience with Falun Gong. And it's something that sat with me for this long. And then meeting Chen coming out of China, I realized how much this event still plays a role for people inside of China 
and uh, connected with Eric here. Uh, this is our first time to work together on a film, Eric Petticelli and myself. And Eric comes to, to it from a completely different angle. I mean, he's worked with human rights films, but he didn't have the film mm. connection. So between us, there's this kind of, we both saw the need to look at this story and the interest with it, but we came to it from different perspectives and it created a kind of push and pull that I think really helped us to, to, to walk that tightrope that you were talking about in sort of the preamble in terms of, you know, look at it objectively, but then also how can you be entirely objective when you're dealing with something that's so riveting and personal and affects people to such a great extent? And I think because of coming at it from different angles, we were able to uh, to help each other to walk that tightrope. Yeah, it's yep. it's definitely something. I'm sorry, Eric, uh, go right ahead. Pardon me. No, that's cool. Tyler, I just wanted to say, like, I, I really liked your review a lot. I found it uh, very insightful. And the point you make about objectivity, uh, it's a challenge that I think everybody faces in documentary at large. Uh, and some navigate it more successfully than others. Um, and it raises a lot of like bigger questions about filmmaking, right? Uh, and in our case, it was clear at one point that we needed a narrator to tie together so many pieces that we were, to, to bring some coherence to it, right? We needed a narrator and it dawned on us that Jason himself was the perfect narrator. And that opened up a whole new uh, line of thinking for us about the film. We were able to make the film more subjective. And in that sense, we're kind of being honest about the, the perspective of the film. Uh, and personally, when I'm watching documentaries, I want to know who's speaking to me. I'm never a fan of third-person uh, narrators. So we have the first-person narrator with Jason. It also allowed us to bring in his own personal background as a practitioner, and then the story of Jason making the film as well, which brings in some interesting nuance. And, and so you, you have this, uh, th this perspective on this event, which is, as has been noted, is, let's say, uh, it's very difficult to get to the bottom of it. And, and I'm really glad that viewers are engaging uh, uh, with the film. And uh, yeah, we've had a great response. So. Yeah, I was going to ask about the, the choice, Jason, to have you not merely narrate it, but to incorporate yourself into it. Because, I mean, God knows the idea of the, the documentarian as primary subject, not to suggest that you are, but like as a, a sort of a, a, an on-screen force or an active uh, force, uh, you know, propelling everything forward. Um, that has been around for a while, and there are you know, there are directors who've become quite famous uh, for being on screen. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Moore eclipsed Errol Morris a long time ago because Errol Morris is rarely on screen, but Michael Moore is always front and center. And then you look at something like Super Size Me or, uh, or anything like that. And, you know, the, the, and, and there's, a, there's a problem with it, certainly from the film community uh, where, I mean, there's not, it's not inherently something that should be criticized, but Lord knows it has been, I think, misused enough uh, by certain documentary filmmakers that, uh, that the choice to put yourself on screen is a risky one mm -hmm. because, you know, you, like you guys are embracing the subjectivity and I, I'm in favor of that because at least, as you say, you're being honest about yourself and who you are and what your goals are. Um, but I think a lot of people immediately, like the moment you put yourself on screen, they think like, okay, this is a personal statement. The guy has an ax to grind and thus he's probably going to twist things a little bit to fit 
his own his own opinion and so um have you run across anybody making uh, making those statements or have most most people like been able to understand what it is you were doing I think we ran into a lot more of that between ourselves during the editing process because we're aware of exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, I think the film, in a sense, is kind of like if you add a filmmaker and a subject matter up, there's kind of one way in the end that it's going to come to fruition. And there's many different ways to make a film and many different filmmakers will make a different story. But if something kind of inspires you inside and you're like we need to tell this story there's there's a point at least in this process for us where we felt like okay this is the story we were trying to tell and we tried it without myself at all because i I had no intention of trying to be the next you know morgan spurlock or you know or michael myers and and it was more like uh it's just something that or sorry michael moore but uh, there we go (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. no you're fine with michael myers uh michael moore no thank you yeah, I hear you. And so we were very aware of that, right? And uh, and it was something that we intentionally avoided. We actually did an entire cut of the film where I wasn't in it. You know, we had uh, moments where we're like, okay, we need some kind of omniscient narrator here um, to make it work because there were still pieces. There's a context issue too, right? Like we're talking about stuff that's all done in Chinese. The the whole situation and the in the government, the way it works and the way the media works is very foreign, right? And so it needed some kind of narration to tie it together. And we were like, maybe there's a way for us to cut around this and we'll be able to do without narration. But in the end, it just kind of spoke to us. It's like, you know what? It needs it. So I think it was coming from a different place. And so even though when you set it up with, uh, you know, with the Michael Moore kind of context, it's like, I don't think anyone's reacting to it that way. Um, I think we've taken so many, so much pains in the process to make sure that we're not stuffing something down someone's throat and that we're making sure to think, you know what? Is everyone going to buy into that? Like, what would they ask? And making sure that I'm there as well as much as possible to be transparent about the own doubts and questions that I have, um, but that other people might have as well. And so I think we put so much of that into it that we're not really getting that response of people saying, hey, you're kind of pulling the wool over my eyes. I think it's the opposite, actually. I think people are saying, you know, that because we were very transparent about where we're coming from, that they don't feel that, that sense that we're trying to pull one past them kind of thing, you know? I'd like to add just something. Uh, Jason and I are, are still friends after making this film, but uh, we fought quite a bit in the editing suite. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't mean that it's uh, no fisticuffs, but uh, they, you know, we, I think personally creative collaboration for me, there's always some tension, uh, whether it's two directors or whether it's a director and an editor when it comes to documentary inevitably people are going to see things in different ways uh and and you you almost take different sides of an argument at different times and and that kind of pressure i think really crystallizes uh certain ideas and so what's in the film is really uh the result of a tension of opposites and and a pretty good or very good working relationship where we uh were both very outspoken about what we felt about certain uh, topics, certain uh, uh, narrative threads in the film. And uh, yeah, so, so in, in that sense, I think we, we really did our best to look at the, uh, the evidence in an objective way. You know, it's. Uh, I was reluctant to to bring this up. Uh, so I recently this year made a documentary myself. It's a micro budget. It's essentially a, a video essay style type thing, and. Uh, for 
as originally planned when the budget was higher, um, I was not going to be narrating it myself. Uh, and then eventually I was like, okay, well, I, I work cheap, so I'll go ahead and narrate it myself. And in the end, I actually think that was probably the best thing because this this thing was written essentially from my point of view in the first place. So why not actually just have me do, why not have it be the Tyler Smith show? But the downside of that is that, um, you know, uh, so aside from the music, like I wrote it, edited and directed it, there's not a lot of accountability there, you know? And so there were, there were moments like it's a, it's a film all about like the, the Hollywood's relationship to the church and then ultimately arriving at like faith-based films and the impact that had on the industry and that sort of thing. I want to watch this movie. Oh, okay. It's called real redemption, the rise of Christian cinema. It's at faithlifetv.com. Thanks for that. Um, but, uh, you know, once the movie was done and submitted and available, I looked back and I was like, huh, I didn't mention Terrence Malick once in this thing. That feels like an oversight on my part. In fact, it absolutely was. And my reason, I forgot. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That was the only reason. If I'd had yeah. a producer or an editor or a co-writer, they would have said like, hey, Tyler, you know, you didn't mention Tree of Life. That seems like an oversight. Um, and I, and so I do think that like, especially, and, and that's, you know, this is a nothing documentary that nobody cares about, but yours obviously is so much more important on a larger scale. And so the, the decision to co-direct, I think is probably a good call. There should be fights, uh, as you're editing this thing, because, uh, you have to, even, even though you're both sympathetic to the the goal of the documentary you come at it from different perspectives and i think that helps the film to be at least more objective in the midst of subjectivity and i feel like that's i think it, it walks a pretty fine line there thanks yeah i think that's a great that's very interesting you know i I think it's difficult to make documentaries in general and not just because we came at this story from different perspectives, but there is a huge benefit in being able to, in a documentary, have more people around. And one of the things I would say is that if you're making something on your own, uh, like kudos, seriously, I'm also interested in the film. I think it's fascinating, (laughs) the subject, right? Uh, And, and every film's got oversight. So I, I wouldn't take that too too seriously, but I think it, it does remind me of like how important it is to kind of bring as much as possible people around you who are willing to take a look at the cuts. We were aware because of like, you know, this in the story. And, and if you, you know, in the film, we talk about how Falun Gong was treated. Uh, and then as a consequence, after the self-immolation, how media and human rights groups and everyone, the, the perspective kind of changed. Right. And so we knew we were coming at a subject matter that is sensitive, that isn't something where everyone's going to immediately raise their arms and say, great job. You know, like there's, they're going to be, there's going to be scrutiny. And so because of that, I think we thought a lot. And then we also shared it with people we really trust. And we really invited as critical as possible, you know, the, the feedback, back the some of the harshest criticism at different cuts of the film was some of the most valuable right Mm -hmm. so even if you're a one-man shop you know find a find a friend find another filmmaker uh who's who's making their own way and you're and you you know you want to hear their input and that kind of stuff that can be very very valuable and, and make big differences when you have those inevitable oversights when you're making things that's the truth um and you know this is just this is just a nod more to documentary filmmaking in general. Um, the story is really found in the edit suite, right? 
and so you set out with one plan, and as you begin listening to the interviews closely, uh, your direction will change uh, a little bit. New evidence is coming to light. The direction changes. So it is really difficult to make a, whatever it is, 90-minute film that is compelling, coherent, ha- satisfies, uh, you know, narrative uh, structures, and, and really is a, a alluring and intriguing for a viewer. And this film was really, is really the result of collaboration with many people. Obviously, Jason and I, uh, you know, more closely on it, but we shared the film with so many people. It really takes, okay, this is, in my pers- from my perspective, mm-hmm. it often takes a community to make a film. We got feedback from so many people um, that was like crucial to yeah. making the film. Yeah. And uh, so this is just a nod to everybody who helped, uh, who contributed ideas to the film. Um, like raise it, like like it needing you know you like you need a community to raise a child. In a sense, it's similar when it comes to uh, making a film. And I do think that there is such a, you know, there's the the rise of digital filmmaking has really allowed, and streaming, honestly, has really allowed um, documentaries to just just explode, yep. uh, especially because there have been so many what what uh, Battleship Pretension, what we refer to as like special interest documentaries, mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, here are people that turn their houses into uh, their homes into haunted houses at Halloween, like just very specific things. Yep. Uh, and the subject is is invariably interesting or at least it can be uh and i do think that there is uh and i say this as someone who who haphazardly put together my own documentary uh so uh, i don't i don't uh exclude myself from this uh, or excuse myself from it um but i do think that there is such an emphasis on like well let's just we have an interesting subject let's get a couple talking heads in there Let's rush it out, put it on a streaming service that's looking for content, and we're good. And so, like any any documentary, and especially something like yours, there is, for lack of a better term, a half-assed way to do it. It's just like, all right, there have been a lot of documentaries about China lately. And, like, as a subject, it's something that's immediately interesting to people. Uh, and you could have just said, like, oh, well, we'll just use some archival footage and some voiceover. But no, you like you needed to the the best way to make this work is to is to really get in touch with the human connection and get involved and interview the people that were a part of it and that's something that i really appreciate is that this is actually a fairly high ambition uh project or at least the way you did it was in my view high ambition in a in a medium that uh increasingly i think rewards lower ambition um, and so, you know, how on earth, cause you know, you got some, you got access to some pretty, uh, vital, uh, players here. And so like, how did you go about talking to, you know, Chen and just various relatives and that sort of thing? Yeah. Chen was almost an accidental find. We were looking, you know, at first more along the lines, uh, more broadly, like it wasn't a personal story to begin with. It was looking at you know, the influence of propaganda and the human rights context in China. And we were aware of this incident. And then we learned about this guy who had worked apparently at some kind of senior position in the Chinese state media and uh, had been imprisoned. And that's essentially the extent of what we knew before we sat down with him. And the first interview with him was more like, 
you know, he's given us insights more from that perspective until we started to realize this guy is not just like a talking head who's going to tell us how the Chinese state media works. It's like his personal story is unbelievable. So that's what shifted the focus and really made the film. And I think a lot of times it kind of happens that way. Sometimes you'll meet a character and you'll obviously a lot of times you'll, you'll have a character in mind. You're like, I want to tell this guy's story. And sometimes when it's an issue based thing, um, there might be a personal character that can, that can really, sort of underpin the whole story, but you might find him organically through the process. So that's what happened with Chen. And some of the things like, you know, it's just more about he was reluctant or it wasn't so much that he was hiding his own personal story. He just didn't think it was very important. He wanted us to understand how things were in China. He wanted to understand what it was like inside the state run media. We had all these different things built with like his, uh, he comes out with these manuals. Like he has, he brings out these manuals that literally say like propaganda affairs manual and, you know, all the stuff right from his workplace of how they cook the news. And he really wanted to reveal those aspects. But it, I guess he, it took him some time to understand that actually we were very interested in his personal story. And then we were able to meet his wife and find out what they had been through, which wasn't something he preemptively kind of told us about. And then the other witness that you see later in the film, uh, the lady Peng Lin, who was detained with him, we just asked, hey, is there anyone else that's, out, that's made their way outside of China that, you know, was detained with you that you're aware of? Um, we had found one organically here in Toronto, just kind of happenstance, who, who testified to having been detained with him. And he mentioned, well, there's this one lady who also withstood all the, the repression and the brainwashing. And we're like, well, is there any way to get in touch with her? And then through the conversation, we realized she was at the Falun Gong exercise practice with him in the morning, and she was actually in the shot. We had shot this B-roll with him, and the lady was standing next to him. And we're like, the subject, they don't think that that's important, right? They kind of, they, it's for us, it's like, what? You know, but for him, it was just like, oh, yeah, she was there. And then we look in the footage, and they're standing next to each other like we had staged it or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that happens with these, with these characters. A lot of times, you just keep digging, just keep, you build the relationships, you get them to warm up over time, and then you just keep finding more and more. You know, one thing that... You know, when you're when you're a film person, and if you if you have any appreciation uh, or at least interest in film history at all, you will eventually wind up at uh, the Soviet Union in the 1920s, uh, because obviously, like uh, various films, helped revolutionize what film could be as a medium. But I mean, it's full on propaganda, and it's it's one thing that uh, I've always been fascinated with uh, in regards to various uh, communist countries is like they understand more so maybe than anybody the importance of image and the importance of uh, presentation, and so you know as you have you have you run across anybody who has seen the film and they actually are a little bit surprised at just how much control and how much for lack of a better term this sounds almost friendly how much micromanagement there is of the of the media in china or are people because i think in the u.s i think we we take certain things for granted and it's one of them is that like the, the government can't tell you what to write or what to say, uh, even if it wants to sometimes. Uh, but obviously in China, that is, uh, that is certainly not the case. Have you run across anybody who, who was kind of oblivious to that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Go for it, Eric. I think there's a time. No, I mean, I'll let you go first. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I mean, this was, I don't have a very long answer for this, but uh, essentially, yes, I think that um, people are 
surprised, uh, but it's not necessarily surprising that people are surprised. Uh, within a given audience of a film, people's uh, level of awareness of what's happening in other countries really varies greatly, right? And we did a Facebook Live uh, conversation, and, and so you, get, you really get a sense of uh, the spectrum of viewership. Uh, we also did an, a VR screening uh, a few months back where we accessed an audience that was not necessarily a documentary audience, and again, that gave us a gave me a good sense of uh, how wide ranging the the audience can be for a certain film. But I would say that, uh, especially in today's world, uh, given the battle for control of the narrative over the coronavirus, uh, our understanding of uh, the, the Chinese state media's no holds barred approach to controlling the narrative is becoming more clear. I think there was a theory um, promoted that. Uh, perhaps uh, the coronavirus was, was started by American soldiers who visited Wuhan in uh, late October. There's no evidence to support this. Uh, there's censorship of information. Uh, look, it's pervasive, so people are less and less surprised at this. But certainly within this film, it's uh, quite an extreme example. So it's still, uh, it'll raise eyebrows even among those who are well-versed in state media, I would say. Yeah, just to add a little bit to that, I mean, one of the things I noticed through the Facebook community that we're building, um, you know, is that because we share articles that are relevant, you know, talking about Chinese censorship and, uh, you know, propaganda, religious freedom, these types of things. And there's just been so much in this vein with what's going on with the Uyghurs, with what's going on uh, in Hong Kong and what continues to go on in the Falun Gong community, et cetera. So there's so much that we're sharing. And what you find is that there's a, you know, when we share those, I get a lot of response in the U.S. And, and sometimes there will be people, because of the political divide there, who will say, oh, that's just like the opposite political party here. You know, whether they're coming yeah. from the left, they're like, oh, that's like the right. And if they're coming from the right, it's like, oh, that's like the left. But then you see people who watch the film and they're like, yeah, but no, you know, like this is on a different level. And it does. And so it's really rewarding to see people who spend the time then watch the film and to see, yeah, you know what, you can see you can see the dangers of how far things can go when there yeah. is authoritarian control and when the control rests in the hands of someone with motives that are, you know, not necessarily in the public interest. Right. And so you can see how far something can go, but then you can also see the different, the distance between where you are right now and where that is. And that means to also, I think for me coming away from this and seeing Chen, what he went through, how his life was torn apart and how, you know, he escapes and he comes to the U S. So for all the criticisms of, of, one side of the media landscape or the other in the U.S., it's like there are people who are going through hell who would really like to be there and really like to have the freedom. So I think for those of us in the West, it's a bit of a check, too, and say, let's appreciate what we have and let's use the, the, the freedom that we have, relatively speaking, to, to shine a light on what other people are going through in China. Yeah, uh, personal story. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I and some friends were visiting China and uh, we we're in, um, we were planning on visiting the Forbidden City, um, but we weren't, we weren't able to. It was closed because Donald Trump happened to be, you know, we planned our trip in advance, but he happened to be visiting that day and he was in the Forbidden City. And so they cut it, you know, they understandably uh, made it so that nobody else could come in. And so we were kind of bummed, you know, I'm a big fan of The Last Emperor. And so I wanted to see the, the Forbidden right. City. Right. 
for non-movie reasons as well, but that's, that's kind of how I was familiar with it first. And, uh, and so there were actually a couple of reporters from Japanese television um, who were walking around and uh, they approached my friend and I and were asking us on camera what we thought and if we were disappointed and all that sort of thing. Uh, we started answering them and then a couple of cops showed up, uh, confronted the Japanese uh, reporters and then escorted them off to the side. And before you knew it, like I looked away for a moment and then when I looked back, they were all gone. Like, the, like I, no trace of them at all. And I was just like, huh, wow, this, that must be that thing I've been hearing about where they really don't like anyone else. Uh, even if, even if uh, this was not, it, even if the story was in no way negative about China, I mean, it's just about the, the U.S. president coming to visit. Uh, it's like, we're, we can't let somebody else you know, control any narrative at all. And so it was really interesting to me to, to have experienced that for, for a moment. Of course, my first, I was like, Oh gosh, what happened to those Japanese journalists? I hope they're okay. Uh, somehow I feel like they're probably not. Uh, it's, it was very, uh, it was a little bit harrowing. So as you see, as you see in the film, uh, in ask no questions, the CNN reporter that we interviewed who witnessed, uh, the event in Tiananmen square, uh, she recounts the the major challenges that she faced personally reporting in China, uh, in Beijing, and and also just systemically um, the challenges that her bureau faced. Uh, so yeah, look, it, it's different. We're talking about uh, two very different systems, uh, and there's a right now obviously rising rising tensions, clash of values as well. Uh, when you look at what's happening in Hong Kong today and the uh, the suppression of uh, of democratic freedoms there, yeah. So, yeah, we're talking about uh, very different very different situations. There, there is a moment uh, in the in the film because Jason, I believe uh, you work for a uh, or or have worked for a video game company. Was that was that the situation? Oh, it's my company. That is your company. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, video games, yeah. Okay. And so there's, there's a moment in there where I don't remember the, the specifics, but something like some contracts were suddenly canceled out of nowhere uh, in China, seemingly, you know, the, the documentary kind of without even really necessarily saying it draws a line between we're making this documentary that exposes China and all of a sudden China wants nothing to do with our business. Uh, can you go into... I know it's weird to be thinking of spoilers. I don't want to spoil anything for your documentary, but uh, can you, can you go into more detail about that? It's an interesting subject because I think it's really, it's, you know, in the aftermath of making the film, we saw what happened with the NBA, you know, and there was a a bit of a small taste of outspoken support from one assistant GM about the, uh, you know, about the situation in Hong Kong and how that turned into a big controversy. And, it's funny because I can view those things from a different lens now. Like we were, so story that you, you asked about Tencent, one of the largest media companies in China, they're publishing a video game it, that we've got uh, in production. And we even went to the extent that we were working with a, a voice studio in China. We'd hired a bunch of Chinese actors to voice the Chinese version of it. It was a big deal for us. And we had had this partnership with Tencent and they had taken us through all the process. We had two different ministries of the Chinese government who had, given us, the, they go through like a censorship review and we had the stamp of approval. The game was fine. And we're in the midst of making this film. A couple of things happen. One is that my wife, uh, her family gets contacted by the public security bureau in China. 
Hmm. And, you know, they're told, we know what you're up to. And this is the message is kind of relayed through her relatives to us. It's like, we know what you're doing. And then with the Tencent thing, uh, our rep there, all of a sudden our game in the midst of the launch, it gets pulled from the storefronts and our account is frozen out. And we finally get a hold of our rep and we feel by this time something's weird. And so we start recording our calls and that's what you see in the film is basically she's, she's telling us, you know, uh, the Chinese government told us to cut ties with your company. It's not about the game. Maybe there's someone in your company who's doing something that's not in line with the Chinese government direction. And that's kind of, and so the interesting thing about this and is that I've thought a lot about this more recently is that I think it's the way that they, they promote the kind of censorship from Western companies is that they don't tell you exactly what it is. There's not a clear rule book. It's like, Hey, you can do anything, but just don't talk about this subject or just don't do this thing. Or if you change that, it's going to be okay. I think it's very intentionally vague. They tell you, we know what you're doing. So what does that mean? You know, maybe I'm doing five different things that you might not like, which one is right. And, and they force you this way. They actually increase the power of the, of the self-censorship and of the, you know, the threats, because you don't know what it is. You start thinking, well, what if I do this or what I do that? And and for a lot of businesses, they might think, um, you know, I, I don't have to die on this particular hill. You know, I think a lot of Western media thought that way about Falun Gong. They were super sympathetic when it was protesting Tiananmen Square. And all of a sudden this group is, are they involved in setting themselves on fire? Like, I don't want to chase that story. What if they are, you know? And so you calculate what is it that's going to upset the Chinese government and then you don't know where to end. And I think that makes it extremely powerful. And so, but from that perspective too, I also realized, you know, your, your own business is facing threats, but at the same time you look at, well, how come no one has covered this story? And this is funny. We talked to a number of journalists who were sympathetic and they're like, someone should totally do that story. Like what you guys are working on but I can't do an interview because I still have, I have to be able to travel back to China for my work. Right. And in the same breath, they're saying, but you should, you know, someone should definitely do that. And you realize everybody is facing the same question. They know that they could upset the Chinese government. They know that they could pay a consequence for it. And so they self-censor. And so if I take that same calculation in the midst of working on this and say, well, I'm not going to do this thing or that thing because I don't want to upset China, then this story never gets told. And the people who are suffering as a result of this never have that opportunity to have their story told either. And so it just kind of, it really brings it home. You realize that's the same calculation. And I think their tactics are to make you wonder what they might do and what they might know. Yeah. It's uh, there's, that's interesting because it really does create a general atmosphere of uh, like fear and oppression. And of course the, the most effective kind is what you do to yourself. If you tell if you tell anybody in the world, if you say, I know what you're doing, but you keep nice and vague about it, well, everybody probably has something that they're doing, even if it's not that big of a deal, but they prefer nobody know that like, ah, oh, yeah, my, I wasn't 100% honest on my taxes or whatever it is, uh, even, it's, even if it's something not necessarily legal. Um, but probably everyone would respond like, oh, shoot, somebody knows, but they haven't specified. So just to be on the safe side, I'm just going to step lightly all around. And before you know it, like you're just not being as bold as you normally would be. And and, I've, and that's, the, that's the culture of, of fear that comes out of a place like that. I, I've been listening to a, a podcast about the Cold War because it's, I'm fascinated by it. And so, uh, you know learning about Soviet Russia is the section I'm in at the moment. Uh, it's very much that it's this feeling that everyone's watching you. 
And so you have to watch your step at all times, just in case. And it's, it's just like, what a, what a horrendous way to live. And yet for, you know, millions of people, that's the only way they know uh, to live. And so I do, it does lead to this next question, which is, as you were making this film, did you ever feel like, you know, this is just one movie and so many other people are afraid to talk about this. Like, is this like, are, are we going to make any dent in this at all? Like, did it, did, did the, the futility of it, did that ever like uh, come into your, into your thinking? Personally, it did not come into my thinking. Um, there are some really big questions about, uh, obviously what can change um, uh, considering China's influence in the world. But that doesn't, to me, diminish the importance of doing your best to set the record straight and to uh, speak truth when, when you can and however you can. Um, I think that it's, it's almost a matter of principle uh, to, to do that. And, and yeah, look, as two filmmakers... Uh, you you well, you do wonder i guess what influence you can have ultimately but uh the importance of the people in the film uh the the how inspiring their bravery is it has been at times uh considering what they've been through that in itself uh is is reason enough to to make the film so that that you can give you can amplify their voice in a sense and amplify their story. Um, and personally, to me, it comes down to the fact that we should really all have the freedom to practice any given faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't practice Falun Gong, but uh, I really believe that uh, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, religious practice is a, a pillar of uh, a functioning government. So to amplify the voice of these people is reason enough to do it, regardless of what can change on a global scale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just picking up on what Eric was mentioning about uh, our character Chen is, you know, you ask yourself sometimes, why wasn't he despondent? You know, like he must have had thoughts like, what am I doing this for? Because it was, it was never clear to him that he would survive any of this, you know, like physically even, let alone put his life back together. Everything seems to have been taken away, but you wouldn't sense it when you meet the guy. And there's something about that, you know, you meet this guy and he's been through hell and, and he's in good spirits and he doesn't seem to be worried. And you're like, what is it that drives that? Like how, what has he found through all of this that allows him to get through? And I think Eric was kind of touching on that. Like there's something just about not calculating what the end result is going to be, because as soon as we all do that, then China has enormous influence to keep us all quiet and, and yeah. to keep this thing going. Right. And so there's something about even though you can't get through calculation to determine this is going to work, I'm going to be able to change things, or this is going to work out financially beneficial for me. The answers to all those questions might be no, but you do it anyway. And there's something really rewarding in the midst of that, I feel. And at least I sense that and felt it the more we spend time with Chen. And that's what kind of spurs you on. It's like, there's something just right about doing this. And, and you have to believe the thing is interesting is that, Chen, I think for him, it comes from a personal kind of spiritual faith and whatnot, but he has a, he, he believes that, you know, it's, it's not in vain what he's doing. Right. And you can sense that and you can see the reward in the end. It's like all the people who are involved in the, you know, 
not all the people, obviously, but, you know, the one character in Chinese government we featured, Li Dongsheng, who is sort of central in both in the Chinese media and in the anti-Falun Gong messaging. The guy ends up in prison, uh, not because of this incident, but because of his own, you know, sort of falling out of favor with the, the political elites in China and the different factions that are fighting. Um, and Chen, despite having lost everything, he still there feels like there's something he hasn't lost, you know, in his character. And that's that's that was really inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it really, uh, by way of analogy, it's it's like the starfish thing, you know, where just the there's a big storm and there are thousands of starfish on the beach. And like there's a little kid going through and like one by one throwing the starfish back into the ocean where they belong. And then somebody says, like, there are thousands of starfish here you know, what difference are you making? And then he picks up a starfish and he throws it and he goes, well, it made a big difference to that one. Yeah. And, you know, like focusing in on, focusing in on like individual stories and, and, or, or like either stories about an individual or uh, a smaller story that speaks to a larger truth. I feel like in the end, that's really all you can do. Um, and, and you can connect with people in that way. And who's to say that the person you connect with, maybe they're in a better position to yeah. do something on a bigger scale. You never quite know. And so you never know when that one word of encouragement that you say could make a huge difference. Look, I've worked on, uh, several films and, and the majority of them are cause related in a sense. And this goes back to the very beginning, uh, very beginning of my career. I remember, uh, working on something about, uh, in any case, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far into it. That what I remember my colleague saying at the time is that you really only need to touch one person. Mm-hmm. You only need to, um, influence one person to the positive and that has an enormous ripple effect so uh, mm-hmm. like the starfish analogy I-, I believe these things to be true i've always tried to do uh to advocate for human rights in my work in film to to do the best i can in any given situation and i, I think those moments really really matter and uh add up to to a, a much larger effect and you know what, with Eric, what you're mentioning there, it's like, it reminds me of what was driving us during the production. And it wasn't so much that we knew exactly what outcome there would be, um, you know, on like a geopolitical level, but more, we knew when we connected with Chen that this guy had gone through something remarkable and we wanted to feel good about the story we put out there. We wanted to feel we had done his story justice and so that this guy sees his own story and, and we just feel in good conscience that this guy who came to, to us with this amazing story, um, that it was, you know, reflected uh, fairly, objectively, and, you know, with the kind of quality that it deserved. And I think that was more that we felt we've, we've done what we can in terms of what everyone else chooses to do when they see the film, that's kind of out of our control. But I think uh, there's a lot of solace in knowing that you've, you've done your best that you can with someone's story when they come to you with it. Absolutely. And I feel like we will probably uh, end there. Once again, everybody, um, Ask No Questions is available uh, on demand, uh, various places online. So just search for it and you'll find it. I highly recommend it. Uh, there's some good stuff happening uh, in the film. And, uh, and I think that you will enjoy it. And uh, enjoy, obviously, being kind of a relative term. You will 
probably be infuriated by it, uh, which I guess is enjoyment for some, uh, but it's still, uh, you'll be engaged by it. Let's put it that way. So, um, so Jason Loftus and Eric Petticelli, uh, thank you so much for, for being guests on the show. We really appreciate it and uh, well done on the film. It's, it's great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tyler. Pleasure speaking with you. And I got to add one real, uh, really quick thing, Tyler. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned you're the narrator of your own film. Uh, you've got a great voice. I would listen to you read the phone book. I'm going to watch the movie because it's an interesting topic. And now, uh, they, now, now that I know that you're a narrator, I'm in. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say. Um, but, uh, okay. Uh, oh, boy. Well, now I'm blushing. Okay. Uh, well, thank you guys for being on. Thank you, everybody, for listening at home. And we'll get you next time. Bye.